name on the most important things. And the most important thing to us here at Redeemer Church is the good news of the gospel. And when I mention that, what I mean is that good news that there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. What unites us here is our common confession that we are all sinners, that we're broken and messed up people, that we are prone to go astray. And what unites us is our faith in the same Lord Jesus, who is the only hope for people who sin and fall short of the glory of God. And we have something so good in that, the freedom that it brings, uh, the way that it makes us all that God designed us to be. We have something so good that we don't want to just keep it to ourselves. We long to see other people embrace the good news of the gospel. And so as you heard Michael pray a few moments ago for the month of February, we're going to be focusing on how we can share this good news with the people around us. We began talking about it in Sunday school this morning as we were thinking about how best to communicate with people outside the walls of our church. Uh, Tonight, we don't have anything going on here at the church because we want to go where people are. And on Super Bowl Sunday, that is watching football. And so we're inviting people into our homes and inviting people to parties so that we build relationships with them. You may see on the back of your sermon outline some tips for having a good Super Bowl party and what we hope to accomplish by doing that. And if you'll be praying for me this week, I'm going to leave and go to the Dominican Republic where I will get to share the gospel several times on a short-term mission trip. Uh, We will have speakers here while I'm gone two weeks that will be preaching on sharing the gospel. Our good friend Wesley Thompson will be here. And then Michael Cody, who prayed earlier, who's the head of our reach and evangelism team uh, will be speaking. And then the end of this month, February 23rd, we're going to have a conference where we talk about this more and we try to develop very practical skills for how we can do a better job of sharing our faith with those around us. But today, I want to share with you the biblical foundation for sharing the good news with others. So if you have your Bibles, if you would turn with me to Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, I'm calling this the first great commission. When we think about making disciples, we often think of Matthew 28, and we'll get there by the end of the month. But today, we start in Genesis 1, and I want to read verses 26 to 28. And as you turn there, let me just ask you, did you know... That when God first created people, when he first created humans, he gave us a job to do. Do you know what that job is? Do you know what you were created to do? Because you were created for a purpose. And I am so excited this morning to get to tell you about that purpose that God has for you and for all mankind. And we'll see that, be listening for that, be listening for what God says his job for people is, as I read in Genesis 1, to get you caught up. Uh, So far in Genesis 1, God has created all things out of nothing by the power of his word, and we're on the sixth day, all right? And we pick up reading in Genesis 1, beginning in verse 26. Hear now God's word. Then God said... Let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created man in his own image. 
In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Let's pray together as we come to God's word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for preserving it, lo, these many millennia. And I pray that you would use it now. Surely one of the reasons you have preserved it is so that we as your people know what we were created to do and the purpose for which you made us. And so I pray that you would impress that on our hearts and it would change the way that we live our lives. And I pray that you'd be willing to do all these things through the sinful lips of a foolish preacher. For it is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. I don't know if you saw it there in the text, but there in verse 28, God actually mentions five things that he wants people to do, that he put mankind here to do. There are five things he mentions, um, but we're just going to mention them in two categories. I think we can group them in two categories to make it easier to talk about. So the two things that he gave us to do, first, multiplication. You see, he says, be fruitful, increase in number, fill the earth. So we're going to call that multiplication. And then the second thing is dominion, subdue the earth. Rule over it. Your translation may say, have dominion over the earth. So we're going to call this multiplication and dominion. Let's unpack those things, these jobs that God has given us to do. And as we look at multiplication, I want you to see that there is a physical aspect to multiplication and a spiritual aspect to multiplication. So let's look at that. In verse 28, God says, be fruitful, increase in number, fill the earth. What is the physical aspect of that? Well, basically, he's saying to this man and woman that he just made, I want you to have kids. God's, the very, did you know the very first thing he said to the very first couple was about sex and sexuality. Now, I don't know what your theology of sex and sexuality is. I don't know what you think God thinks about sex and sexuality. I don't know what you've heard the church say before, but I want you to know that sex and sexuality was God's idea. He invented it. He's not surprised by it. He's not disgusted by it. It was his idea, and he commanded us in the context of marriage, to be engaged in that activity. Wow, I want to get to know that God better, right? It should change the way we look at the world. We should probably be a lot more sad about the ways we see his good gift misused and abused. But that's a different sermon for a different day. Just note that the first thing God says is to make babies, to have kids. Now, if you're here and you're single or you're married and you can't have kids, then you're probably sitting there saying, I hate this guy right now, right? Listen, I'm going to have some application for you. I have not forgotten about you. The Bible speaks to you where you are, and I am going to speak to you where you are as well because the Bible does. But this is where the Bible begins, so it's where I want to begin in my discussion. But don't think I've forgotten about you. We'll get to you single folks and people who are married who can't have children. But the first thing God says is to have kids. Now, it's important that we talk about this. 
Because in our culture today, many people see having kids as a burden, as a dreadful thing. And I can understand why. I have three children of my own, right? They can be a nuisance. They can be noisy. They can be self-centered. I hear one cough, and they can get sick. They cost money. They can drive you out of your mind. I said to Lisa this week, I think they're gaslighting. If you don't know what that term means, I think they're trying to make us crazy. They're trying to push us over the edge. It feels like that sometimes. And when we begin to have kids, it is expensive, and it does limit our career, and it limits the things that we can do. But listen to me. Listen to what the text says. Having children may keep you from doing some things that you want to do, but it does not keep you from being all God created you to be. In fact, that is one of the purposes God has for men and women is to have children. To be fair and to be totally honest, my children are some of the greatest joys that I have ever experienced in my life. I feel like I understand God's love for me a little bit better because of the love that I feel for my children. I feel like I also understand God's exasperation with me, and I appreciate his grace and his mercy a lot more as I live with my children. Children, are they will accelerate your sanctification, all right? They will turn you to Jesus, I remember when my oldest started driving, you still look at them like they're five years old, and they just go and get in the car and drive away. And I'm like, Lisa, what are we doing? And she just left. Lord Jesus, go before her. Go behind. Kids will improve your prayer life. And it's a wonderful gift. Now, listen, let's not go to extremes here. I know some people say, well, if children are good and God commands us to do it, then I'm going to have as many kids as I can have. Well, listen, we have other things God calls us to do as well that take time and attention. And so we have to balance those things God calls us to with having kids. And just like we don't share the gospel every second of every day, even though that's something God calls us to do, we don't help the poor every second of every day, even though that's something that God calls us to do. At the same time, we don't just have as many kids as we can possibly have. There are a lot of factors that go into that. So we balance this calling with other callings, but hear God in his word. In Psalm 127, verses 3 through 5, he tells us that children are a gift, that they are a blessing and not a curse. And so having children is something God calls us to do. A little bit of application about that. Let's encourage one another to have children. Let's support one another as we raise children because it is a a taxing job and it pushes us to our limits. Let's encourage one another. Let's rejoice with people who have kids. Let's come alongside them and help them. We want to be that kind of a church. But as we talked about, there's not just a physical aspect to this. It's not just the biological, to fulfill what God is saying here, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. That's not just a physical thing, right? There's a spiritual component to this as well. Because we're told to be fruitful, to increase the number, to fill the earth with what? With images of God. Now, before sin entered the world, that would have been just a physical thing, right? 
to fill the earth with images of God would have just been to have babies, right? That's what evangelism and discipleship would look like, just having I love evangelism before the fall, right? That would be fun. But sin has come into the world, and it is a reality. And as a result, we are broken and messed up people giving birth to broken and messed up children. And if sin were not in the world, kids would grow up and naturally reflect what God is like. But because of our sin, because of the initial sin of Adam, because of the sin of the world, our kids will sin and will be sinned against. And so this filling the earth with images of God becomes a physical and a spiritual task. Because as we have kids, we then have to train them to live as images of God, to show the world what he looks like. Let me illustrate that here for us. This is the time in the service when I come out and talk to you. And let me ask you this question. Has anybody seen Leonardo da Vinci's painting, The Mona Lisa? Has anybody seen that before? I've got some hands over here. You've seen it. All right. Give me the slide. I've got some folks who've seen this. All right. Now, just so you know, if you're listening on the internet, we have two images of the Mona Lisa on the screen. Neither of these is the actual Mona Lisa from the Louvre in Paris, okay? These are just images. And you've seen this painting, right? You've seen the original. Okay, so here is the question. Which of these images are a better image of the Mona Lisa that Leonardo da Vinci painted? The one on the left, okay? And why would you say that one on the left is the better image? Because it looks more like what the original looks like, right? It more accurately depicts Leonardo da Vinci's Mona Lisa. Thank you, yes. The one on the left is more accurate because it looks like what is it is intended to depict, right? It's the way it is with children and with images of God. We are all made in the image of God. Every human being on the planet is made in God's image and has inherent worth because we are all made in the image of God. But some people reflect what God is actually like more than other images of God. And so if we're going to raise children... And then we're going to fill the earth with images of God. We want to fill the earth with people who look and act and respond and think and and move and have their being like God looks like, right? And in order to do that, we have to train children. They have to understand what God is like. They have to understand how he designed us to live in his world that he created, and so that's why the Bible says things like Deuteronomy 6 and verse 5. If you have kids, you know this one. Deuteronomy 6 and verse 5, we read what Jesus identified as the greatest commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. Listen to what it says after that, verse 6. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road and when you lie down and when you get up. Do you hear what the scripture is saying? What Jesus identified as the greatest command, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all you got. First, you got to impress that on your heart. Listen to me. You can't make disciples if you're not a follower of Jesus yourself, right? 
These things have to be real to us. We have to impress them on our own hearts. Our kids can learn from our mistakes, but man, do they pick up on things when, when they just emulate us and follow us and it becomes a natural thing to do what they've seen other human beings that they live with do. So first we impress these things in our own hearts. And then what does it say? The greatest command, the next thing it says is impress these things on your children. Listen, biblically, a part of the greatest commandment is training up your kids to image God. Does that have a priority in your life? There are so many things that we want for our kids. Is it the top of your list that they would image God, that they would look like God? That if you want to know what God looks like, you look at my kid. That's sobering, isn't it? Not that they've arrived, not that they're perfect, but that's the trajectory. That should be our goal. That people would know what God is like because they know my child. Listen to me, that does not just happen. Yes, the Lord must work, and he's the only one that changes hearts. But even for people who are regenerate, there's a lot of learning. There's a lot of that we have to know what God is like so that we can walk in his ways. And maybe you're doing a fantastic job of that at home. But I want you to know, many parents do not bring their kids to Sunday school where we look at the Bible with them on an appropriate age level and teach them what the Bible says so they know what God is like and what he instructs us. It saddens my heart to say one of the reasons we are not having Sunday school this semester is because people don't come. It's just not a priority. And listen, I know we all have things to do. I know it's hard. But we've put a lot of money and manpower into doing this. And then when people show, it's like, why are we doing this? Let's not keep doing the same thing and expect a different result. Let's hit pause for a minute. I'm not saying we're abandoning the teaching ministry of this church because we're not. Jesus says to teach them everything I commanded, Matthew 28, 19, right? But we want to figure out the best way to do that. And when you look back at Sunday school and it's only the volunteers' kids or the only kids that are there, they can teach them that at home, right? This is a priority. This is important. This isn't a secondary thing. This is like one of the first things that God tells us to do. It's our purpose in life, and we neglect this. That's why children's ministry is important to us. It's one form of multiplication, so it was evangelism and discipleship. I mentioned Matthew 28, the resurrected Christ. The last thing he says to his disciples, his followers, right? All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. You see, Matthew 28, what we call the Great Commission, is really the second Great Commission, because it's just a form of multiplication, right? Think about that. As we share our faith and people become followers of Jesus, God adopts them into his family, into his household, and he conforms them to the image of Christ, which means they look more like Jesus. So one way we fill the earth with images of God is by sharing the gospel throughout the world. And so when we neglect children's ministry, when we neglect evangelism and discipleship, when we neglect foreign missions, we neglect multiplication. 
which is one of the first things that God calls us to do. Now, I said a moment ago, if you were single, if you were a married person and you can't have children, listen, just hear me say, I know that is a hard place to be. And that is not how things were from the beginning, right? God designed us to have children. And I know that ache in your heart is there because you feel like that's not the way it is. You feel Genesis 2 where God says it's not good to be alone. And I want you to know that this is a place not just for families, but for single people, for married folks who can't have kids. And I want you to hear very clearly from God's word. Listen to me. You may have tuned out because it was hard for you to hear this. Listen to me. You are not a second-class citizen in the kingdom of heaven. Because you don't have to marry or to have kids to be all that God made you to be. Biblically, 1 Corinthians 7, verse 1, Paul says that for some people it's good not to marry. The Lord Jesus in Matthew 19 tells us that some are called not to marry for the sake of the kingdom. And who can forget the example of the Lord Jesus Christ himself, right? The only perfect human who has ever lived, never married, and never had kids. Surely you can't be a second-class citizen in the kingdom of heaven. Jesus fulfilled this multiplication by calling people into the kingdom of God through his proclamation of the gospel. And so your fulfilling God's call in this way is not second rate or inferior in any way. My prayer for you is that you would just be like the Apostle Paul in 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 2 where he calls Timothy my true son in the faith. My prayer for you is that you would have many spiritual sons and daughters. That you would walk with them. That you would declare the good news to them. That you'd have a relationship with them where you're a spiritual mother or a spiritual father. Oh, that the Lord would do that in this place. Do you have that kind of relationship with someone? Are you committed to evangelism and to discipleship, to walking with other followers of Jesus in a way that is life on life and intentional? Listen, this call of God for any of us is not easy. Maybe you feel like you're with kids all day long and all you do is change diapers, cook meals, launder clothes, and just try to survive to the end of the day. That's a season of life that we're in at times. Maybe you're at the stage of life where you just feel like you are an ATM and a chauffeur, right? I just come off the hip with cash, and I drive you to where you're supposed to go. I hear some people laughing because you're in the same stage of life that I'm in. And we can feel that way sometimes, right? But that's all we really are to our children, Maybe you've tried evangelism and discipleship. You've spoken to people about the Lord. You've tried to get into discipleship relationships with people, and it just hasn't gone well. Listen, I get it. It is hard. But I want to cast a vision for you what, what God is doing here in his word and what he calls us to. Listen to me. The king of the universe who created all things, he comes to us here in, in his word, and he tells us, that he has put kids in our home. He has put people in your life. And these people are all made in his image. 
and he calls us to pursue them tirelessly, to love them patiently, to pray for them without ceasing, and to work hard and to make ourselves available and to yield ourselves to God that he would use us to mold people, to polish them so that they would image him and show his glory in a broken world. So as you do the hard work of raising kids, as you share your faith, as you're in a discipleship relationship with people, listen, you are shaping images of God to reflect his glory in the world. And as you do that work, I just want to charge you from Galatians 6 and verse 9, which says, let us not become weary in doing good. For at the proper time, listen to me, for at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Oh, Lord, give us the strength to keep going and to claim your promises for us. Where is multiplication happening in your life? What kind of priority are you giving to it? How are you filling the earth with the images of God? This is not a secondary task for us. It's a primary task, and it should be a top priority of after our own relationship with God that we would look to see this happen in the lives of the people that God puts in our path. That's multiplication, both the physical and the spiritual aspect. Let's talk about dominion for just a minute. Let's talk about dominion. We don't use that word a lot. But the scripture there in verse 28 says to fill the earth, to subdue it, to rule over the earth, or your translation may say to have dominion over it. What does that mean? It means that we multiply images of God all over the earth for a reason. Because God wants people to image him and to look like him and to rule over whatever part of creation that God gives us for God. In the way that God would manage that area, that's how we image him as we rule over things in the way that God would rule over those things. And so that's what it means to exercise dominion or to have dominion to rule over. It means to rule over whatever part of creation God gives us for his glory, to image him in the way that he would manage it. Early on in the garden, it just looks like gardening, right? Genesis 2 tells us that he put the man in the garden to work it and to keep it. But as we keep reading in the scripture, we see that it looks a lot of different ways. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, they're herdsmen. They have sheep. They have goats. They have camels. They have cattle. By the time we get to Joseph, we see Joseph is a great manager. First of Potiphar's household, and he rises to the top. Then in the jail, and he rises to the top. Then in all of Egypt. That he's second in command to only Pharaoh himself in a political administration, bringing all areas of life where God put him under the rule and reign of Christ Jesus. Moses and Joshua were great leaders, both militarily, judges resolving disputes between people. I think of David, another great military man. And as a king, he develops communication and transportation and Trade. He's a musician who plays the harp. He is a songwriter. Read the Psalms. Many are his. We looked at Psalm 139 in Sunday school today, a song that he wrote. His son Solomon built houses, planted vineyards, made gardens and parks and planted trees, classified different kinds of animals. 
Listen, we subdue the earth any time we advance human culture, any time we rule a part of creation and bring order to it in a way that brings glory to God as we manage it the way that he would have it managed. So we fulfill this calling as we are architects and artists, as we're bankers and barbers, as we're counselors and have cleaning services, as we're doctors and dietitians or foresters and financial consultants, as we're stay-at-home moms and dads. Our specific jobs may vary, but all of those fit within God's call to rule whatever part of creation he gives us for his glory. This is such an important point for us to make in our culture today because many of us just see work as a curse. And so it's important to remember that work existed before sin came into the world, right? Genesis 2, God puts Adam in the garden to work it and to keep it, and sin doesn't come into the world until Genesis 3. Now, just like with multiplication, work got harder after sin came into the world because thorns and thistles grew in the garden, because we do things, they come undone, as the work that do is more complicated because of the effects of sin in the world, but our work done rightly can be pleasing and glorifying to God and is a a part of his purpose for us. Just like multiplication, listen, work can be hard. Thank you, preacher, for that great revelation. Work can be hard. Let me write that down, right? But it, it, it can be. We feel like we do the same mundane things over and over again. We wonder, are we really making a difference in the world? Does what I do matter? Is it significant? Is it something God even notices? Why would he even care sometimes we wonder about the work that we do? Listen to me. God does care. He commands work in this way. Work is a privilege he gives us. Listen, it's a privilege that he gives us to build his kingdom alongside of him. We do image God as we work, as we create, as we bring order to things. It brings glory to our God. Again, the vision is that the king of the universe has given you some part of his creation And he is calling you to make your office, your desk, your home, your hospital, your bank, your workbench, a place where everyone will see what a great king he is because that area reflects his glory in what you do. That's why Paul says things in Colossians 3 and verses 23 and 24 when he says things like, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord and not for men. Because we work with all of our heart because we are working for him. That's what our motivation is. That's what drives us. What's your motivation for work? Are you just trying to survive? Just trying to make ends meet? Are you trying to make more money so you have more stuff? Do Do you see your job as a way that you can get more status? You can get more popularity? People look at you and say, wow, he's great, man. He's got a great job. He's, he's really progressed in his career. Is that what you look to work to do? Listen, the, the scripture calls us to work for the Lord so people see our work and then think God is great, not that we are great. Jesus says that in Matthew 5 and verse 16, right? 
where he says, let your light so shine before men that they would see your good deeds and praise your Father who's in heaven. We need to think together. In what ways has God given us dominion over the earth? What areas are under our control? And then do we, we, do we work in those areas as for the Lord? And I want you to hear as I talk about this, we tend to think that church work, that ministry, that missions, that God cares about those things. I want you to hear what God is saying here, that all work, whether inside or outside the church, all of our work is a service to God. And we should do our work in a way that he would want us to for his glory and not for our own. Brothers and sisters, we have a great privilege that God calls us to in this multiplication and dominion. You see, God created all things good, and there was a beauty in the creation that we've been singing about in all the songs today that we, that we see in our world. We see the, the beauty in how God created all things good. But as we live and move and have our being, we also see that things are broken and messed up. They're not the way they were supposed to be. They are not the way God intended them to be from the beginning. Our refusal to live life as God designed it to be lived has brought great brokenness into the world. But God and the person and work of his son has begun that process of making all things new. And when he calls us to multiplication and dominion, he is calling us into and is giving us the privilege and honor of working with him in this task of making all things new as we multiply images of God and as we rule all areas of life in a way that is pleasing to him. Listen, I know it gets tiring. I know it is frustrating at times, but I just want to cast a vision for you again. Listen to me. One day God will complete the work of making all things new. He's going to bring it to fruition. That's why we're able to hang in there and to keep going when it gets tough and to keep pushing even though the brokenness is hard because we know that he who began a good work in you and in me and in his creation, that he will bring it to completion, that he will make all things new, that all that is broken will be fixed. That all the sad things will become undone. That we will no longer shed tears because there's nothing to cry about. Because he has made all things good. And until that day, let us not become weary in multiplying images of God and ruling all areas for his glory. Let's pray and ask God to help us to do that. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the job that you give us. You dignify us so much. You could just say the word and it would happen. Yet you allow us to work at your side, to do your work along with you. Thank you, Lord, for that dignity and that privilege. Help us to do that work well. We get tired. We get distracted. I just pray that you would keep us focused and that you would give us energy and that you would do that even as we come to your table today. For it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.
Amen. Thank you guys for helping us to worship.